Hi, and welcome to the Arana Hills Church of Christ podcast. We hope this message brings you closer to knowing God, finding freedom in Him, and understanding what He has in store for you and your community. To learn more about Arana Hills Church of Christ, head to aranahills.church. We hope you enjoy this message. This morning I'm introducing um, our next conversation about being unhurried and then we're going to have some guests. Uh, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That's what we have there. <laughs> and no, people in the house that are part of this family and also good friends and um, in the community. And so we want to hear from them. And I believe there will be some gold that emerges from that. Last week we spoke about our first practice of four that we want to trust that we can introduce into the life of this faith community that you are part of today, whether online or physically. And we spoke about Sabbath now and realizing that speaking about Sabbath, you probably need a 10-week series on Sabbath just on its own, just to dissect all the meanings of the Greek and what it means in the Hebrew and the 10 meanings and all those things. We don't have time for that, but we want to invite you to go online onto our website and look through the content. There's a little booklet on our website called the Unhurry Guide. Many of our small groups already are into it. It gives you some practical outcomes, gives you access to teaching on, on a lot of the things we're talking about. And so if you want to do the work, if you want to devote yourself, why don't you do that? We can't do everything from the pulpit here, but you can certainly do it at home. So we want to invite you to do that. The second practice then today that we are touching on and we'll spend some time conversing on is the practice of silence and solitude. A couple of months ago, I told my kids it was holiday. We're going to have some silence and solitude today. We're going to sit in the garden and watch each other. They hated it. They manifested and still today, when I say silence and solitude, there's a manifestation <laughs> in them. They don't even understand the meaning of solitude anyway, but they don't like it. Because they're so used to having things on demand, to be entertained all the time. And we've identified in our community, certainly, that people are tired, worn out, certainly burnt out on religion, as Matthew 11 says. And then Jesus gives us the solution because Jesus is the solution, not just his death and resurrection, but his way, the way that Jesus lived. And these practices are practices that Jesus practiced. So I don't know about you, but if Jesus does something, I want to do it because it forms us into our true selves because he says, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. Who needs to recover their life. It's as if you've lost a grip on your soul. There's such a demand on your time that you've lost touch of who you truly are. And I believe today's conversation can really help you to move forward. He just says what I said. He said, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. And you'll learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Silence and solitude is a real gift uh, it's a gift you only really appreciate sometimes when, after you have children and you realize that that is a really rare gift, silence and solitude. You might have it on the toilet and they even interrupt you for that. <laughs> you can't hide. They find you. It's like they smell you. Okay, no way. <laughs> that wasn't planned. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, it is a gift. Often that's what I want when I get home. I'm just, can I just have a little bit of silence? But the kids are fighting and they're hungry and they didn't put away their washing and their mum is reminding them of that at volume. 
And then I myself get really loud. We're actually a really loud household. Uh, silence. And so it's, it's not just about being quiet, but it's about having moments when you're on your own. And I realize in the context of this room that many of you, some might be on their own all the time. And so you're saying, well, I don't want to be on my own. <laughs> Others are saying it's impossible. It's impossible to be on my own. There's always people around me, always children, always parents, always something and someone that is interrupting me. But it's in these places, I believe, where we are strengthened. I remember moments in my life where I looked for places of silence and solitude. I had a little uh, bench. We lived on a golf course in South Africa and I had this little bench next to a river and I'd go and sit there every time uh, my girlfriend left me. I didn't have many girlfriends, but it, the, the few times it happened, I was so deeply distressed. I needed to isolate in nature. <laughs> Just jokes. And then later on in life, I experienced some of the tension that life brings in terms of having a business. I had one for a little bit. It didn't go too well. I, I woke up in the middle of the night and I'd, I'd have to go for walks. Um, just around in the neighborhood, just to have a bit of time where I could hear from the Lord. Other times I knew a challenge would be coming my way and I had to look for those places and we'll hear from some of our friends today on those moments. Jesus certainly had a few. and Hopefully they raised some of them, but one that really comes to mind is when Jesus is called to the desert, when he goes into the desert place. And often we see this as a real terrible moment, but I actually believe that Jesus would go into silence and solitude for moments when he was strengthened for the challenges, for the ministry, for the outgoing things that would happen in his life. It wasn't just a time to be alone. It was a time to be with the Lord. It was a time to hear from God. And it was a time where his identity would be deeply affirmed, who he was. I believe that silence and solitude is a great gift for us to discover our true self, to hear who we really are. It's not so much a place where we just go to pray so that we can give God the list that he watched us writing for him of our needs but it's a place where we can go and say Lord I'm just going to be quiet here now and I'm going to listen from you tell me who I am because I forget and the Lord does that by revealing himself and then showing us and so Jesus is on this journey through the desert place and it's rough and it's hard and he and we read here, afterward the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to experience the ordeal of testing by the accuser we know that as the devil. And after fasting for 40 days, Jesus was extremely hungry. Then the tempter came to him and said, how can you possibly be the son of God and go hungry? If you notice the first word in the scripture, it says afterward. After what? After a great public affirmation. Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit came down as a dove and an audible voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. A statement that echoes through eternity into our own lives. Yes, you can be a daughter and receive that this morning. This is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. And after that declaration of identity, the enemy continues, goes on this rampage of challenging Jesus on what? On his identity. If you are the son of God. If you are. If you are. The question mark <laughs> that has haunted us from the beginning of time in Adam, if you are, Jesus is the exclamation mark of God saying, not if you are. If I am says I am, then I am. He doesn't question that. Jesus knows who we are and he shows us that. But the enemy comes and he says, if you 
if, if, and every time you in life, when you have these attacks, when things feel like it's crumbling around you, often it's a question mark coming at you. If you are, if you are, it's questioning your very identity. But Jesus knows this, and so he responds with powerful statements as he rebukes the enemy, the accuser, every time he asks this, if you are. You see, I believe what the enemy does is he, he wants us to think that our identity doesn't determine where we are, our activity does. Our job title, our cruel, the amount of money we get paid, the achievements in life define our identity. That's what the enemy wants to do. And the moment we lose our job, we lose our security, we almost lose a sense of who we are. We lose our identity. And then we have to regather it in some earthly form. But the identity we have in God precedes the activity. Because this declaration, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, echoes into our lives in this moment many years later. God calls us to a relational journey, not a transactional one. But we live in a transactional world. Everything's about your activity, what you do, how you do it, how fast you do it, how you outscore and outwin any other human being to achieve things that make other people richer. When God says, no, 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 your identity defines you. And out of that identity, activity will flow. Fruit will be birthed into this world, but you have to understand it's about who you are, not about becoming anything that you are not. That is what we discover when we silence ourselves. When we separate ourselves from the world that is so noisy, we can listen to this voice. The I am statements define us. I want to invite my three friends on here, Wayne, John, and Simon, where we've got a couple of Simons, I have to define who the Simon is. If Simon says something in this church, you better listen. There's a few Simons. Anyway, <laughs> come and join us. Uh, one on this couch, and then there's a microphone for each, and then two on this couch. You can, ch- you can choose who you sit next to or how close you sit. There it is. <laughs> so I'm going to get them to introduce themselves. I don't know everybody in the room. We've got a couple of good questions we're gonna, I thought about doing a, a dad joke battle and just surprising you with some random dad joke. <laughs> uh, no, we're going to go to what really matters. And there's enough of that around. So Wayne Crouch, Wayne is a chaplain. Wayne, introduce yourself. Tell us what drives you, what's your passion. How many children do you have? All those things. <laughs> um, yes, I'm, I'm a chaplain. I, I, started, I left uh, kind of... Um, in the working world to go into full-time ministry in 2008 and so I was part of a team at a church for five years and then for almost nine years now I've been in chaplaincy work at Mitchelton campus um, so yes yeah, so I've, I've you know over 12 years of kind of full-time ministry um, just doing church doing all the things funerals baptisms weddings um, but then pastoral care, and at, at the Mitchelton campus, of course, there's end-of-life care, palliative care, residents, families. And um, so pastoral care is, has been a big part of, of my life. And um, I have two older girls, one's 19 and 22, and I have two stepchildren that are 11 and 13. So four. I'm not going to give $400. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> 
Yes. Yeah, so Technically, I'm one of Wayne's <laughs> children as well. I'm adopted. 600. I didn't have a great stepfather, but Wayne, you have taken that place. Oh, thank you. We train together in the gym. We spot each other, the big weights. Yeah. And so I often tell stories about you, Wayne, and about my failure to spot you well. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about uh, just being with people, companioning. Spiritual companioning is probably my passion. Just meeting people where they're at. You know, helping them with exploring faith and doubt and despair, trying to be a signpost of hope and um, of compassion. And um, yeah, so that's that's probably my passion. Thanks, Wayne. John, uh, for John. those who don't know you, uh, I'm a teacher, um, primary school teacher, and um, I have three children: um, Melanie, Cameron, and Sharla, and uh, they're fantastic. Um, and my passion is, thanks mate, um, uh, you have to say my passion is helping young people especially understand the relevancy uh, and the legitimacy of God's word for their lives, not just as an intellectual activity, but uh, one that affects their whole being. Very good. Most, many people in the place know John because he probably discipled them. And in our time together, he has really good questions, which I enjoy. So just affirming that. <laughs> Uncomfortable questions as well, but very good questions. Nonetheless, Simon. Uh, Simon, uh, one of the Simons that uh, I am. Um, uh, I have uh, four kids. Actually, I was thinking this morning as I woke up early, um, it's a big year for me, especially on Father's Day, because this year, um, a few months ago, six months ago, my father died. And so I've suddenly become the top of the father tree. And uh, it, it, when you've got a father alive, you can look up and there's someone above you. So this year it was a transition. And then four weeks ago, I became a grandfather. So the generations have doubled over. Um, but in the middle of my father and uh, my grandson, I have four kids, uh, two of which are here. I'm watching them here. And uh, sadly, the one with my grandson is living in America. Uh, so uh, Thomas and Jordan are in, uh, in the States at the moment. So we're, we've met our grandchild via uh, Zoom. Uh, and, uh, and then, of course, Jacob, uh, who is well known, and married uh, this, the daughter of one of the other Simons. Um, what I'm, um, I'm sort of passionate about people. Uh, I'm in a people profession, and I, I'm loath to say that I'm a dentist because people, when you tell someone you're a dentist, you get two reactions. Um, people will either go, or, or they start telling you all their dental stories. I've had people take their dentures out and say, what do you think of this? <laughs> uh, so I, I don't say it, but I do like people. Um, I like people of all ages, and I was told by my kids I can't say this, but my special people are little people. I love, um, I love kids, and that's not apparently politically correct to say that in this generation, but that's my heart. Uh, and I think it's because I see, um, I see the nature of God um, just in the love that I have for little kids, because that's how he sees us as our Father. That's my passion. Very good. Very good. We'll, we'll start with a question that... Um, that makes sense. And is there in the Bible, are there stories, are there moments, are there scriptures that for you point you to that place of silence and solitude, that point you to that place of closeness or relationship with God, specifically that stand out for you? Before we get to your personal stories, we'll just start there because it, I believe it's that discovery of who God is that opens our eyes to who we are. Um, anyone want to kick that off? Any scripture? John? Yep. Um, <laughs> I think for, for me, and I, and I think of our young parents, mums and dads, 
Um, I, I was thinking with your statement before about um, how children will interrupt um, you in the toilet and, and how all the mums nodded and the dad said, we don't know that experience. <laughs> and I'm not really sure why. <laughs> I know. <laughs> My daughter right now is cringing badly. <laughs> um, but as I, as I, uh, in Matthew, Jesus um, talks a, a, about a situation I find happens to parents, especially young parents. And, and sometimes you think it's never going to change. And uh, I, I, I love um, in Matthew, in just before the feeding of the 5,000, um, Jesus just heard that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded. And the disciples, some of them, were discipled by John the Baptist. And, and so when Jesus heard, this is in Matthew 14 from 13, when Jesus heard what had happened... He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. So we see this, the, again, this idea, this desire to, to hide in the toilet, mums. Um, um, and um, hearing of this, the crowds then followed him on foot. <laughs> how many, how many mums, uh, you, you tried to sneak away and you thought that you were successful, but they've come looking for you. Uh, and um, hearing of this, the crowds then followed him on foot um, from all the towns. When Jesus landed, so they were following him around the, the, uh, the lake. When, Je- when Jesus landed, he saw the crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick and he ministered among them. And I think that there is this desire, isn't there, to find solitude and to find peace. And, and that, needs to, that needs to happen. Jesus certainly exemplified that. But not as a something where our children are meant to be put on hold while we do that. Um, or that ministry doesn't occur while we, we do that because Jesus found the capacity and, and the writer of Hebrews says this, there's a rest to be had today in amidst the busyness. There's a rest to be had. Um, he says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts to the rest that is available and whenever I think about this, these, this conflict happens uh, right here where Jesus wanted to take his disciples off and minister to them privately and quietly about his loss of his cousin. But the ministry was there and he didn't put that aside. He, he allowed God, who was his rest, to then work in a situation where he physically maybe wasn't feeling up to it, but he knew that God had brought it on him. And he was at rest in that place. Very good. I think Thomas Merton says, um, there is no solitude except interior solitude. So I don't think it's a case of isolating yourself away from everybody else. But it's a case of finding that deep within you. There is a silence and a solitude. It does often take an external experience to awaken that reality. What about you, Wayne? Um, yeah, I suppose going off what you guys shared about children and um, I think there's a season in life, you know, we go through seasons and so there is a season where there's lots of children and busyness. But I think I look at it more as um, stillness and solitude is a way of being intimate 
it's intimacy with God. So there's lots of ways we interact with God and connect with God, singing, praying with words, um, activities, doing lots of things that we connect with God. But to actually grow in intimacy with God requires setting yourself apart. So even in a season where there's kids, you might not be able to do that a lot, like say with your spouse. But then you plan, well, when can, I, when can we have time together? When can we be intimate? And you might do it date nights or whatever. So yes, yeah, sometimes silence and solitude is difficult in some seasons. But I think for me, um, the image of Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus is probably what stillness and solitude is. It's about, it's just a different way to experience God. Um, so I think some scriptures would be, you know, be still and know that I am God. Or um, in Isaiah, thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And then in scriptures here in, in the New Testament, um, know this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Or um, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. So in a sense, there's a knowing that stillness and solitude brings so that you can actually begin to fall into that, to God's love and believe how much God loves you. So that when you do go out in the world, and this is how I see God's temptation in the desert, he was affirmed by God. God's deep love for him was shown. And then he went into the desert and he was tempted. He was tempted by other things that would draw him away from that. Um, away from that knowing that God is love. Satan was trying to say, but you could do this, but you could do that, but you could achieve this. That's all the busyness. So it's important, but then there's knowing God and being accepted by God and coming out of that stillness so that you can also be stillness. So I suppose lastly, another thing is the storm. Think about, that's a beautiful picture of the storm. Jesus is actually sleeping at the back of the boat resting after coming down from the mountain and there's this huge storm and the disciples are all worried and fearful and then Jesus they wake him up but he goes and says peace be still so you know being in the storm our lives are very busy and full of storm but what about that peace be still um, the knowing of, of God so that's probably silence and solitude for me yeah, and I uh, reflect that as well, Wayne. Um, the two verses I was thinking of, the be still and know that I am God, as I've uh, reflected on that and I'm still on journey on that, is knowing God. Uh, um, Kath and I, for a number of years, we went, I've got a theological degree, we studied all about God, so I learnt a lot about God, but I don't think I really knew him. And knowing from the head, which sometimes theological studies can sort of put a lot of stuff into your head, but it's actually knowing in the heart and the journey that I am still on, and um, my, I, I heard something on a podcast this week about my wife. Uh, she wasn't mentioned uh, specifically, but this guy said, your greatest, uh, your, your wife, so I say Catherine, is your greatest asset in your sanctification. 
and uh, and uh, she is over the years she's taught me that uh, what it really means to know and I've had to learn to move from head knowledge to heart knowing and so as we are still that gives you an opportunity um, to really know God and that's one of my passions is that people actually know God not know about him I I love learning but uh, what I'm really growing and I think is knowing uh, and that's the nature of God and that comes in your heart when you really know God and the passage about that again goes back to kids that I was reflecting on also was when Jesus was busy in ministry and people were pushing him and there's all these kids around and the adults who know what's really happening push the kids away and Jesus says, get out of the way, let the kids come to me uh, because to them belongs the kingdom of God. And I don't think that means where the kingdom of God is for immature people but it is for people who actually can know him because they're not locked into all the things we've got to do and how busy we've got to be and uh, yeah very good very good love takes time and that's what we spoke about last week it's the reason we want to integrate practices into our world because we are we feel that we are so time poor uh, and therefore we struggle to give time to those things that are really important because we feel like we're missing out if we're not working if we're not achieving if we're not climbing the the ladder. It takes time. Time has also changed. I read of the, the early fathers and some of the church fathers and mothers of the past and the stories would be how they would get up at four in the morning and do their Bible study for two, three hours. <laughs> sure, but they probably didn't have television because <laughs> times were different. They lived in a time where the clock was dictated by the sun shining. And so when the sun's down, we're going to bed which would be, you know, 5.30 or 6. So obviously you get up at 4 or 3. You've slept for, you know, hours. So times have changed in a lot of ways. We have this entertainment drive pushing and squeezing more time out. What are some of the practices that you guys practice? What are some of the simple things that you do to create that silence and that solitude when you don't experience it internally, but you, you seek for an external environment to do that? Because I work in, a, in a, an area that has to run on time um, and runs to the book and uh, patients turn up and they expect to be seen on time. Um, one thing I've done, and it's funny, we did it from when I, we were at college, so this is 30 years ago, uh, I started making Tuesday a day that I would fast. And um, not because I need... It's funny, I, it's become very contemporary. The girls at work who know that I fast, they think it's because... Everybody's doing intermittent fasting now. It's all over the internet. So they think I was very good. I've got ahead with fasting. But I just say, no, it's a time for me to reflect. I'm not uh, sort of, uh, they understand I have a Christian uh, worldview and an understanding. But in those times, I try and step out of my appointment book. So one of the clinics that I work in is over at Turinga. Uh, and in the middle of the Mogul Road, it splits into two. You probably remember that. It used to be where the Turinga Primary School used to be. Now it's units. But there's a little park there with a seat. So often I'll just go and sit on this seat by myself for at least 20 minutes or half an hour between patients because I, I know I won't be interrupted. Um, there's no one is wondering what's this guy doing sitting on a seat in the middle of Mogul Road. But uh, it, it is a so I know on a Tuesday I'll be doing that um, each week. And we all know time is worth more in the dentist space. <laughs> Very good. Uh, anyone else, John, Wayne, any practices that you implement? Um, they've changed through the years. Um, Kay and I were talking about this just this morning. There would be times the younger me would jump in the car and go up to Mount Glorious and I'd just take my Bible and my guitar 
and um, they were very special times. But because I'm an only child and also um, without parents, so I never had a Father's Day as a kid, um, and um, and my mother died early. So silence and solitude is actually very easy for me. Um, so, but purposely spending time to get to know my heavenly Father isn't. Um, I remember a time when uh, I would uh, a phase where I would get up early, and then when we had children, um, it wasn't a problem for my girls because they like sleeping in the morning. But Cam, um, he would wake up like at five in the morning, um, and the girls stayed up later. But Cam, as soon as his head hit the pillow, he was out to it. But when he woke up, he was up, and so. Um, there was a time there that I would, if I wanted time with alone with God, I'd have to wake up at four and spend that time. So then when Cam got up, I was uh, available for, for that time. Uh, and and I, they, they were precious to me. I mean, they're tiring, um, but they were precious to me. Um, and and it, it just changes in, in life as life changes. Um, and I wouldn't say it's a... I wouldn't say it's a, a, a regular pattern for me. It's an irregular pattern. Yeah. Very good. I think that gives us a license to know that's a little and a lot that matters both. And that irregularity is space for you to know. You know, you don't need to every day, same time, same place. For some people it works. Wayne, what about you? Is there any? Uh, <coughs> yeah, I suppose um, sitting at the backyard just... Um listening to the birds and just being quiet and I mean there's different ways of just stilling yourself you know centering prayer or um, or breathing and, and getting to that point where you can be still because it's hard to be still it's a practice really it's difficult um, so I can't say that I'm uh, you know as um, they've said yeah it's 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 um, trying to fit things in I mean since my life was very busy especially in ministry everything was about doing and since I've kind of shifted to say, well, stillness and solitude is a very important part of being and, and knowing God, it's been a struggle. I mean, 10 years, it's not easy because, you know, you have, have times when you really do practice being quiet, walking out in nature or, or you know, doing a lecto divina where you slow down and just read scripture and then just bringing yourself to that stillness is, is a continual practice. Um, but it's something you have to try and build into your life. I think... Over time, you get better at doing it, um, and then you begin to you begin to desire it more. Because it, in my work, in past, I'm different to the um, sorry, <laughs> Simon being a dentist because I'm, I'm I'm a chaplain. I can actually um, I've had an excuse to slow down and walk around there and be contemplative, and no one questions me. So <laughs> I have plenty of opportunity, you know. But the thing is, what's important about it is that my stillness is actually part of, of, of bringing stillness to others, if you know what I'm mm. saying. So if I'm at peace and still, I can, I can be there for others. They can reflect in that. I'm not a, an anxious presence, if you, if you know what I'm saying. So in some ways, um, I have to try and practice it more and more because um, it helps me um, in my ministry. Yeah. That's brilliant. It's very good. Um, I feel we're in a season 
and an opportunity where we can implement some of these things um, in these moments. Some of us have incredible challenges that are right at our doorstep. Um, it's those moments. But many of us are not there. We're not in crisis mode. We're not thinking about how are we going to feed our family tonight. Or Some of us might be there, but the majority of us, I would guess, are not in that space. But I have found that at times when we are now challenged deeply by external events um, and we know that we haven't spent the time <laughs> and we haven't created that inner stillness, we almost know that we're in bigger trouble than just the event itself. And that sometimes a small event really trips us up because we haven't centered ourselves, because we haven't implemented these life-giving rhythms in us. I remember moments in my life where I was faced with challenges, maybe not overwhelming, but I was overwhelmed because I knew that I wasn't prepared for it. Um, were there moments in your life where you had time and you could draw to those silent and solitude moments before something was coming or while it was happening? Is there a moment, you might have a few, <laughs> where you remember distinctly um, that was something you had to do? Anyone? Yeah, I suppose, um, I suppose the, tur the, the turning point for me was a spiritual crisis. I know that kind of John of the Cross talks about a dark night of the soul, which can, you know, people have used it for other things. But sometimes God gets our attention through suffering or through a spiritual crisis. And that's what happened for me, is that all my doing and doing and doing came to a halt. And um, I had to kind of cry out to God. It's like um, David, you know, um, in Psalms, a lot of the Psalms, you know, I take refuge, my soul takes refuge. So sometimes like Mary's at Jesus' feet, it's consolation, you know. You feel affirmed and uplifted and you're drawing closer to God. But sometimes it's a desolation, it's a suffering. That's, that was my turning point, was when I hit a spiritual crisis and I didn't have answers and the doing wasn't going to help me. It brought me to, it just drew me closer and closer to that stillness and just listening, trying to discern, just be with God. Um, so a spiritual crisis kind of brought me into that space and that's where I started to try and explore more mm. about being and knowing and mm. trusting and in that identity, living out of that identity, not looking for affirmation or praise or looking elsewhere but seeking God for that. Mm. Very good. Anyone else? We've had Kath and I on our journey um, well, 30 years together, actually, uh, this year. Uh, this month, actually, is our 30th wedding anniversary. But God often will... One of the things I suppose I learned a little bit the hard way is that even when we were first married, um, we had worked out what we were doing for God. And uh, we were hoping... He, well, not hoping. We knew he'd come along with us. And we had an experience in Adelaide, which a little bit like... But it wasn't a spiritual crisis, but we'd been to theological college. We, had, we were preparing to go to the mission field... Um, we also had four kids uh, very quickly in our marriage and um, the mission board in South Australia, I can remember the night sitting on the lounge when the chap came in and he said, um, uh, we've taken your application um, on notice but we don't think you're right for the mission field. And I said, don't, like, we looked around at each other and, but where, can't you see how we've got it all, you know, we've got all this and the skills and the gifts and 
but God actually sort of, it said it, it knocked the wind out of us a bit, um, but we had to sort of take a breath and say, well, uh, was this us working for God? <laughs> was this us sorting things out for God? And in that moment, God did come and speak to us and he changed the whole direction of our life. Uh, out of that, we went back into a different sort of ministry and we had to work through that. And then out of that also, we ended up in Queensland. So God turned things around, but it was it was a crisis, but we had to... Yeah, take a breath and say, what are you saying, God? What are you blowing on? Different to what we had planned, very different to what we had planned 30 years ago when we got married because we knew what we were going to be doing. (laughs) Very good. John? Um, I I think, and certainly Acts declares it this way, um, that the beauty of our Heavenly Father is it doesn't matter whether we've positioned ourselves as his children. He's still our Heavenly Father. And, and it is always good if we have been spending time with him beforehand and we know what he's going to do because then his peace uh, and our ability to walk in faith is so much easier. Um, but we aren't often in that place. And it often is, as the crisis comes, that he uses that opportunity just to remind us that he's always had us and always will have us. When um, Kay and I uh, had sold, um, we were newly married prior to kids, um, and um, we felt that we wanted to go over to Canada to Bible college. Uh, so we sold our house and we sold um, everything we owned to to pay to go over and to do that. And, but I had to finish my bachelor's degree in education um, three months early. And so Kay had moved back to her parents' place. I was in our house. It wasn't selling. I had to do all my assignments three months early, do my pracs early. Uh, I was in the house with no furniture, just my computer and me trying to hammer out these assignments while the um, the house isn't selling and uh, we're due to go in like weeks. And there was that picture of absolute um, um, stress and striving. Um, and I remember walking out of our, our house down the front stairs to the road, you know, and in our hearts we're always crying out to God, God, what are you doing? You know, don't you know what's happening down here, you know? Uh, and um, we lived on a busy main road and as I'm out there always crying, God, God, you know, why have you forsaken me, you know? Um, um, this little piece of card blows down and stops at my feet. Um, and so I pick it up and it says, come to me, and I will give you rest. All of you who work so hard beneath a heavy yoke, wear my yoke for it fits perfectly and let me teach you. <laughs> this is the process of teaching. For I'm gentle and humble and you will find rest for your souls for I only give light burdens. Well, you, you can imagine for all of us, well, the tension, everything just went. But I still had an assignment to do. The house still needed to be sold. But it's at those moments when we stop in that place, we're reminded, John, I've got this. What are you so stressed about? You know, trust me. Um, it didn't matter that I hadn't been spending time with him because he's still my father and he, that, nothing, that will never change. And so, yeah, I keep this as one of my bookmarks um, for those moments, yeah. Mm. Wow. Thank you so much.
for sharing that. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know what your story is exactly. Uh, I know God does. Um, you might be sitting here this morning saying, well, I deeply desire to have these moments where I can find out who I truly am. Um, they're not always pretty, and they don't always come in comfortable situations. But maybe it is just where you are, where is the right place for God's Spirit to give you peace and to empower you, to give you courage. So we're going to pray for you, church, this morning. And uh, we'll do two prayers, one for the congregation as we are here, and then one for the Father specifically in the house. So maybe, John, if I can ask you, can you pray over us this morning as the Spirit leads you? Heavenly Father, I, we thank you first and foremost that we can call you that, uh, Father. We thank you that in your great love and compassion for us, you first of all reached to us and came down uh, in your Son so that you would bring an op- make an opportunity and bring us to yourself. Thank you. Uh, Father, thank you also that you know we don't have a good view of what it means that you are our Father and you are gentle and you are humble in the way that you are bringing us into that understanding. Thank you. It's so much better than we fear. And um, Father, I want to pray for us all here as we've uh, come and today brings a whole multitude of different emotions uh, some positive and some negative that we struggle with. Um, Father, we thank you for that you are sovereign above all those things. Father, thank you also for in the resurrection of Jesus that provided hope, not just a hope that we've been saved of our sins, but a hope for what our future looks like, that confident expectation that you will bring us into perfect unity of Jesus and his life in us. Father, I praise you that that stands first and foremost on your word and on your faithfulness to carry out your promises, your covenant to us. And so, Lord, I do pray that even at this time there would be rest. For today you said there is an opportunity for us to know that rest of either trying to please you of trying to do things for you, of trying to make the difference in the world. I thank you that you will do those things. But we can rest in the knowledge that we can have peace with you and that you are not angry at us. Uh, You never say to us, I thought better. But Father, you always desire the best for us and you will lead us into that. And we give you praise for that. In your son's name, amen. Amen. We have one thing left to do, but if this morning or this day is triggering for you in any way, shape or form, we know we live in somewhat of a physical um, season where fathers are absent or they've abandoned their roles. Maybe you've been affected by that. We want to invite you for ministry. Maybe not today, maybe during the week. You want to hang out for a coffee, you want to see someone. Please reach out to us. Come and talk to any one of the guys up here. Come and talk to someone you know in the congregation. Get the word to our staff team. We feel that it's a role that we can play. Do not just father our own children, 
But in a way, Father, our community, Father, the street, our children growing up in this street that do not have fathers present, except for their Father in heaven, and we can bring that into their, into their conscious. So we invite you to respond in that way. We want to pray for our dads, though, in the house, in this room. And we want to do something different, and the introverts will love it. Um, we want to call the dads to come and stand at the front here and to face the congregation. We want to pray over your life. We want to speak into it. We want to encourage you just as the Holy Spirit encourages us all the time, but we want to do it in the flesh, in person. So I invite you, dads, everyone else stay seated. But if you're a father or you're an expecting father, I know we've got some dads that have only recently become dads. I want to invite you, these guys on stage, we can stay here. Um, So all the fathers, come and join us here in the front as we as a congregation pray over you. You can just face them. Yeah, you can join. You can join. Very good. We've invited some noise as well. So the noise will join us in the room. Go to your dad. Let's welcome the noise, the children. (laughs) Find your dad. Grab their leg. Lay hands on your dad. Come on. Thanks, Lefis. Very cute. Don't us dads like bragging. (laughs) Bragging is a spiritual gift. If you're bragging about God's goodness, not about yourself. Isn't it good? Look at these men that stand in front of you today. Aren't they great? What incredible capacity do we have to love our world with guys like these? Do you agree? Yeah, sometimes a bit grumpy. Sometimes they don't always listen to those rules and regulations. They forget their underwear. In the corner of the room, they don't do those tasks. They don't fix that light bulb. (laughs) We're going to minister to them today. and We're going to pray over their life. Lay hands on them. And can I encourage you that after the prayer, may you go to them. May we not miss one father in this place today. May you go to them and give them a word of encouragement. Maybe the kids aren't here today. Maybe they're somewhere else. Can you just give them a word of encouragement during the service? We're going to speak life over them. We love them so much. We value them. We need them. Do you agree? We need our dads to be healthy. We need our dads to hear from the Lord. We need our dads to lead the way with us moving forward. John says, yeah, the I write to you, young children. I write to you, young men. I write to you, fathers. There's a divine call on their lives. Let's pray for them and bless them. Father, we thank you for all these fathers that are in our midst. How good are they? Lord, thank you for blessing us with them. Thank you for gifting us with their presence. Yes, they make mistakes. Yes, they miss the mark, just like all of us do. But Father, they try their best because they are made in your image and they're made in your likeness. They're good fathers. 
We just love that song, Lord. We say, you're a good, good father because it's who you are. And then it ends and it says, because it's who I am. Thank you, Lord. When you look at them, there's no question mark on their lives. It's just an exclamation mark. You're good enough. You're great. You are. Thank you, Lord. When you look at them, you see Jesus in the flesh and bone. So we are in this place. We are surrounded by these men to guide us, to support us, to help us, Lord, to lead us. Father, we, we honour you for their lives. We honour you for the gift that they are. We don't just honour them. We honour you for giving us them. We thank you, Lord, for them. Because without you, they will not be the men they are and they will not be the men that we need for them to be for the future. Lord, in many ways, our future lies on their shoulders today. Together with the mums in the house, together with the children, we are a family of God and we aim to follow in your footsteps, Jesus. So this morning, we thank you for these men. We bless them. We bless them. We cheer them on. Irrespective of their issues and their challenges, we cheer them on. We speak that which is above that which is not. We call out the best in them because we need them. And our community needs them. And our neighborhoods need them. And our city needs them. The Holy Spirit, encourage them. Fold them from the top of their head to the tip of their toe with your divine presence to be the men you've called them to be, to be the fathers you've called them to be. We thank you for them. We thank you for every man in this room, Lord, that is in some way, shape or form a father in the Spirit. They might not be standing here in the front. They're in between us. They are a father in you because they are fathering their world. We thank you for them also. So we bless all of them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's give them a hand. Come on. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. If you were encouraged by the message and would like to hear more sermons like this, make sure you hit subscribe. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. To experience other messages, videos, and live services, head to oranahills.church and navigate to the resources tab. Thanks for listening.